On February 24th, 2023, the world recognized the one-year anniversary of the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine. Over the last year, the political and physical landscape of Eastern Europe has become unrecognizable. Many of Ukraine's largest cities, including Kyiv, Kharkiv, and Odessa, have become dangerous war zones. Thousands of civilians, Ukrainian troops, and Russian troops have been killed, with many more wounded. Over 8 million Ukrainian civilians have fled the country, primarily into Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova, spurring Europe's worst refugee crisis since World War II. Almost 1 million Russian civilians, primarily military-aged men, have left Russia since the war began. Russia has been hit with economic sanctions by many nations and has become more or less culturally ostracized from the Western world. In addition to Ukraine, countries including Finland, Sweden, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Georgia have started the process of acquiring NATO membership as a safeguard against Russian incursion. Needless to say, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has come with unforeseen ramifications for more than just Ukraine and Russia. On February 20th, 2023, ahead of the one-year anniversary of the start of the war, U.S. President Joe Biden visited Ukraine by way of an overnight train from Poland. Despite security concerns from the Department of Defense and the Secret Service, Biden traveled to Kyiv to meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Biden's visit to Ukraine marked the closest an American president has come to an active war zone since Abraham Lincoln during the American Civil War. Biden's visit coincided with Ukraine's annual Day of the Heavenly Hundred Heroes. This national holiday honors the 130 Ukrainians killed during Euromaidan, a political upheaval that rocked Ukraine in 2013 and 2014. Of course, for those unfamiliar with Ukrainian politics, Euromaidan may be an unfamiliar event. On November 21st, 2013, mass protests broke out in Kyiv against Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. Yanukovych had served as president since February of 2010 and was known for his pro-Russia and anti-European Union tendencies. Due to growing support for Ukraine's integration into the EU, public disapproval of Yanukovych had been steadily growing. The last straw for many Ukrainians was when Yanukovych suspended the planned European Union-Ukraine Association Agreement. This treaty, which would establish stronger political and economic ties between the EU and Ukraine and was widely seen as a first step towards Ukraine joining the EU, had massive public support in Ukraine. Additionally, Yanukovych struck down the planned release of opposition leader Yulia Tymoshenko from prison. Timoshenko's imprisonment was widely seen as politically motivated. Protesters soon took to the streets, calling for the resignation of Yanukovych and his prime minister, Mykola Azarov. Kyiv's independence square, known in Ukrainian as Maidan, became a massive protest camp, housing thousands of anti-Yanukovych demonstrators. The Euromaidan protests culminated in a five-day skirmish between police and protesters in February of 2014, known as the Revolution of Dignity. Over the course of these five days, 
108 protesters were killed, primarily by police snipers, while 13 police officers were killed by armed protesters. These deaths would not be in vain, however. Under cover of night on February 21, 2014, Viktor Yanukovych fled to Crimea and later Russia, ending his rule as president of Ukraine. In the ensuing Ukrainian presidential race, billionaire businessman Petro Poroshenko was elected. Poroshenko resumed the European Union-Ukraine Association Agreement, moving Ukraine closer to the Western sphere of influence. Given the lengths to which Ukrainians went to get rid of Viktor Yanukovych, it may be surprising to hear that this wasn't even the first time that Yanukovych had been ousted as the country's leader. Almost a decade earlier, a similar revolution had taken place. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 83rd episode of this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara, Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. It is impossible to talk about contemporary Ukrainian politics without also talking about the fall of the Soviet Union. On December 26, 1991, the Soviet Union was formally dissolved, and the independence of each of the 15 Soviet ethnic republics was recognized. One of these republics was the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, which would become Ukraine upon gaining independence. At this time, wealthy machinery oligarch Leonid Kuchma had recently been elected to the Ukrainian parliament and was rapidly climbing the Ukrainian political ladder. On October of 1992, Kuchma was appointed as prime minister by Ukrainian president Leonid Kravchuk. But in September of 1993, Kuchma resigned from his position to run against Kravchuk in the next year's presidential election. Kuchma ran a strong campaign that sought to re-establish economic ties with Russia, appealing to working-class voters in the predominantly Russian eastern regions of Ukraine. Kuchma would go on to win this election in July of 1994, marking the first time that an incumbent leader in a post-Soviet nation was defeated in a democratic election. Sadly, Ukraine would soon go down the path of most of its post-Soviet counterparts. Ukraine's next presidential election would take place five years later, in 1999, and would see blatant voter fraud tactics such as ballot stuffing and media manipulation used by Kuchma. Numerous notable political opponents of Kuchma were also killed under suspicious circumstances during this period, and it appeared that Kuchma would be just another run-of-the-mill post-Soviet stagnant dictator. In 2004, however, Kuchma declined to run for re-election. Instead, he endorsed a candidate widely believed to have been his hand-picked successor. 
This candidate, a member of the pro-Russia Party of Regions, had previously served as Kuchma's prime minister and had a lengthy history of Russophilic tendencies. This candidate was none other than Viktor Yanukovych. Opposition to the Kuchma regime in Ukraine was very diverse and, by extension, disorganized. During this time, the aforementioned Yulia Tymoshenko led a coalition of right-wing nationalist parties opposed to Kuchma. Oleksandr Moroz led the Social Democratic Socialist Party of Ukraine, which had long criticized Kuchma's laissez-faire economic policies. Petro Simonenko led the Communist Party of Ukraine, which, despite also being heavily Russophilic, opposed Kuchma due to his disavowal of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union back in the 1990s. Most importantly, Viktor Yushchenko was the leader of Our Ukraine, a liberal political party that supported Ukraine's incorporation into the EU and the Western world. These four opposition leaders, Timoshenko, Moroz, Simonenko, and Yushchenko, consciously agreed to unite behind the popular Yushchenko in order to collectively defeat Viktor Yanukovych. But approximately a month before the first round of the election, the opposition movement hit a major road bump. In September of 2004, Yushchenko became violently ill, experiencing severe nausea and vomiting. After being airlifted to Austria, Yushchenko was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis and given the appropriate treatment. However, Yushchenko's condition quickly deteriorated even in the hospital, and he began to appear physically disfigured and bloated. A toxicology report from a London hospital instead stated that it was likely that Yushchenko had been poisoned with dioxin, a common component of Agent Orange. In spite of this poisoning, which is generally blamed on Yanukovych, Yushchenko made an astounding recovery and lived to see another day. He was back on the campaign trail within weeks, and with a newfound motivation to oust the man who had likely caused him so much harm, he went head-on into the presidential election on October 31st, 2004. Sure enough, the first round of the election saw Yushchenko put up 39.9% of the vote to Yanukovych's 39.2%. With almost a month until the second round of the election, which would pit these two frontrunners against each other, Yushchenko's goal became to consolidate any and all Ukrainian voters who wanted to get rid of Viktor Yanukovych. The second round of the Ukrainian presidential election took place on November 21st, 2004. Before the polls even closed, many reports of voting irregularities in favor of Viktor Yanukovych emerged. Entire piles of ballots voting for Yanukovych were found neatly stacked at the bottom of ballot boxes, while many Yushchenko voters later claimed that they had been harassed and intimidated by police at their polling stations. One district in the Donetsk Oblast was even reported to have a 127% voter turnout. Despite the fact that exit polling predicted Yushchenko would win by an 11-point margin, the final election results showed that Yanukovych had earned 49.46% of the vote to Yushchenko's 46.61. 
Almost immediately, protests broke out across Ukraine in response to this disparity. The Yushchenko campaign openly supported these protests and called for a general strike of all Ukrainians. The day after the election, an estimated half a million people marched in front of the Ukrainian parliament building in Kyiv, waving orange flags and wearing orange clothing. Local city and town councils, including those of Kyiv and Lviv, passed resolutions disavowing the fraudulent election results, and the pro-Yushchenko bloc in the Ukrainian parliament even symbolically had Yushchenko sworn in as president. Eventually, the Ukrainian parliament passed a motion of no confidence against swearing in Yanukovych, creating a constitutional crisis. The Ukrainian Supreme Court stepped in on December 3, 2004, ruling that the election results were invalid and that the election was to be re-held three weeks later. The revote of the second round of the Ukrainian presidential election was subject to intense scrutiny from international political observers. Most importantly, the Helsinki Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe, a U.S. government agency then headquartered by New Jersey Representative Chris Smith, was sent to Ukraine to ensure the integrity of the election. On December 26, 2004, the new election took place. With a 77% voter turnout, Viktor Yushchenko won the election with 52% to Viktor Yanukovych's 44%. Yushchenko was sworn in as the third president of Ukraine on January 23, 2005. However, Yushchenko's success was short-lived. Allegations of corruption, controversial connections to Russian oligarchs and public support for rapprochement with Russia caused support for Yushchenko to flounder. In the 2006 parliamentary elections, Yushchenko's party, Our Ukraine, received only 14% of the popular vote. As Our Ukraine declined in popularity and the party of regions increased in popularity, Yushchenko had no choice but to appoint his former opponent, Viktor Yanukovych as his prime minister. Simultaneously, Yulia Tymoshenko eclipsed Yushchenko in popularity as a leader of the anti-Yanukovych bloc. Noticing this trend, Yushchenko later replaced Yanukovych with Tymoshenko as prime minister, but this couldn't save Yushchenko's political career. In the first round of the 2010 Ukrainian presidential election, Yushchenko came in fifth place, earning a pitiful 5.5% of the popular vote. The two candidates with the most votes, Yanukovych and Tymoshenko, went to a runoff. Yanukovych would win this runoff with 48.9% to Tymoshenko's 45.5%, and thus began the four-year-long rule of Viktor Yanukovych. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I certainly enjoyed writing it. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash Historia Obscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. 
Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.